Romans 13, 7 says, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Kavad is the Hebrew word for honor, and it literally means a heavy weight. It implies that we assign the greatest possible weight to a person in terms of respect by holding them in high regard. And so to honor someone is to consider them to be weighty, to be heavy, to esteem them highly. On the other hand, to dishonor means to treat treat someone as if they were light or insignificant. To honor is to treat someone with distinction. To dishonor is to treat someone like dirt. Well, I had the honor of being raised by a man of honor. My dad served in the United States Army, and he was stationed at Warner Barracks in Bamberg, Germany from 1955 to 1957. And this past weekend, my dad along with 87 other heroes, received the honor of traveling to Washington, D.C. as part of the Badger Honor Flight, and I had the privilege of serving as his guardian on that trip. I uh, wrote more about this and actually recorded a podcast. If you want to learn more about what that trip was like, uh, you can get to that from our Edgewood 4G podcast on our website. So we visited Arlington National Cemetery. We witnessed the changing of the Guard, the Marine Corps Memorial, the Korean War Memorial, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, the Lincoln Memorial, the World War II Memorial, the FDR Memorial, and the 9-11 Memorial at the Pentagon all in one day. Unfortunately, many vets have not received that honor or the honor that they are due, especially those who served in Vietnam. And I'm thankful for the efforts of the honor flights, which operate out of 126 hubs, including the Quad Cities, in 46 states. To date, more than a quarter million vets have been honored in this way. The honoring of my dad started the day before when my wife, Beth, two of our daughters, we have four daughters, two of our daughters, Becca and Megan, a son-in-law, Lucas, three grandchildren, Dean, Ren, and Mac, and four, my four sisters, Kathy, Jean, Mary, and Beth, other family members and friends gathered at the Mission Barbecue in Madison for lunch. You see, I had arranged to have my dad's picture put up on the wall in this restaurant, and he had no clue. And so I said, hey, Dad, before we go on the honor flight on Saturday, how about if me and my sisters and my wife and some others gather, and let's just go to Mission Barbecue? It's about 40 minutes from where he lives. He was up for it. His only question was, do they have good brisket? (laughs) And I said, yes, they do. So we were in line, my dad and I first, and I was getting ready to pay for his lunch, and the manager paid for his lunch and my lunch and because he's a vet, and then he went over to get something to drink, and 
And then he looked back toward me and I said, hey, dad, why don't you go sit in the corner? (laughs) And he kind of laughed. You're making me sit in the corner? Well, he sat right here with no clue that picture was right next to him. And it was such a joy to see him find his picture taken when he was 19 years old up on that wall. It's also very moving if you've ever been to that restaurant Uh, At noon, everybody stands, including the workers, and they sing the national anthem. And that was just so, yeah. So then on Saturday, just some highlights. uh, Our other two daughters, Emily and Lydia, live in Virginia. And along with their husbands, Matt and Jamie, and their children, our grandchildren, my dad's great-grandchildren, Pip, Ezra, Simeon, Simeon, and Ruby surprised my dad by showing up at the Lincoln Memorial. He had no clue they were going to be there. He was just blown away by all the memorials and all the ways that he was honored. And I remember we're walking in front of the Lincoln Memorial and the four grandkids ran up to him and kind of held on to his legs. And at first, he didn't even know who they were. <laughs> And then our daughters came up and gave him a hug, and then it clicked. We got to spend about an hour together uh, at three of the memorials. Uh, When we got off the plane in Washington, D.C., he was emotionally ambushed by the reception he received. He was not prepared for this at all. Uh, People whom he had never met before, uh, shaking his hand, congratulating him, and just celebrating the service of all these vets. That's my dad right there. And it was really interesting. This is really the first time people were shaking his hand. As the day went on, he was going up to people he had never met before and shaking their hand. (laughs) That meant a lot to him. Uh, We went to the changing of the guard and I found out that my dad's brother, Bob, served as a sentinel at the tomb of the unknown soldier, get this, 70 years ago. So my dad had this look on his face I had never seen before. And it's very moving if you've ever been there, but there was something else going on, and that's when I found out that when my dad was 17, he drove out to the tomb of the unknown soldier with his parents to see his older brother do that. And my dad said, nothing has changed in that ceremony. It's the same as it was then. He was overcome with emotion. I didn't think it could get any better. But then when we took off from Washington, D.C. to head back to Madison, One of the volunteers who organized this flight got on the loudspeaker and said these words, mail call. (laughs) And all these vets received packets filled with letters and cards. My dad received 70 letters and cards. He started opening them when we were going up, coming out of D.C., and he read his last one as we were descending into Madison. And here's a picture of him reading one of those cards. By the way, several Edgewood members wrote notes to my dad. And he'd pick up a note and he goes, who's this? And I said, well, that's a vet from Edgewood that heard you were going and wanted to write that note. And he'd say that five or six times, who's this? Another person from Edgewood, so thank you. 
When we landed at the Madison Airport, there were, we were told, 3,000 people there to welcome the vets home. Um, Beth was there, all four of my sisters, other family members and friends of my dad. Patriotic music and banners and active duty personnel were escorting these vets. Here's a picture. These are all my family members, although I'm not sure I don't recognize some of them, but I think they're part of my family. (laughs) Do you know that there are some heroes in the worship center here today? If you are a veteran, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we want to honor you today. Go ahead and stand, and let's thank these men and women. Look at that. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Four years ago, I had the honor of leading in prayer for the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Service that was held on the arsenal. And I'm going to adapt that prayer and ask you to join me as we pray now for our veterans. On this day that we honor veterans this weekend, we also remember the more than 58,000 who gave their lives during the Vietnam War. The brave patriots who suffered as prisoners of war and those still missing in action. Jesus, you said in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. We're grateful for those who've sacrificed their time, strength, ambition, health, and even their lives to benefit those known and unknown. Many of our warriors carry scars in their hearts as well as on their bodies. Dark memories haunt their dreams at night, Fears cloud their waking hours. May your faithfulness be their shield that protects them from those PTSD terrors at night and from any arrows that fly during the day. We ask you to heal their tangible and intangible wounds, some inflicted on the battlefield and other pain from the disdain they received when they returned. Be their refuge and fortress, their God in whom they trust. Bless the families of soldiers who bear these pains vicariously. Give them patience and wisdom and strength to endure. Bring your peace in the midst of pain and your healing to so many who hurt in so many ways. May they find refuge under your wings. We honor all veterans and are grateful for their service and sacrifice. Lord, we ask you to return to them the favor of your blessing, a gift we on our own could never offer. May each one dwell in the shelter of the Most High and abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Give them a peace beyond the peace they fought to secure, a peace in their own hearts, wrapped in the joy that comes only from the God of peace, who made peace with us by sending Jesus as the ultimate peacemaker. Jesus, on the cross, you bore our sorrows and our sins, our fears, our failures, and when we trust in you, we can exchange our wounds for your presence and peace your forgiveness and freedom. We thank you for the sacrifice you made by dying in our place and then rising from the dead, which makes it possible for those who believe and receive in you to have eternal life. We pray all this in Jesus' powerful name, the ultimate warrior, amen. So friends, here's what I learned being on that flight. We need to do a better job honoring our vets not just on a weekend set aside for us to do that, 
But I'm also convinced that we must do a better job as believers of honoring the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. I was reminded of some findings from the Edgewood State of Theology survey. Most of us took that survey. 650 results were tallied. And the first one that came to my mind, I I was very grateful for this result. 99% of us believe there's one true God existing in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. However, we have some work to do because, well, 13% of us believe the Holy Spirit is a force, not a personal being. 7% of us are just not sure. Now, thankfully, these results are much better than how Christians across the nation scored when nearly 60% stated the Holy Spirit is a force and 15% are not certain. Well, I'm gonna take some responsibility for these results because, frankly, I've not preached much about the Holy Spirit. Now, when we went through the book of Acts verse by verse, it took us two years, we certainly celebrated the work of the Holy Spirit. You cannot read a chapter in the book of Acts without seeing what the Holy Spirit was doing. But to my chagrin, I've only devoted a few messages to the Holy Spirit in the past 10 years. But we're changing that right now. Because our focus today is on who the Holy Spirit is. Next weekend, we'll tackle what the Holy Spirit does. And then in two weeks, we'll learn how to walk by the Holy Spirit. I want to acknowledge the help I've received on this topic. Some of you know Pastor Rich Kraft. For years, he pastored at Homewood Evangelical Free Church. Uh, Rich has been teaching a class here on Wednesday mornings. He's actually two classes, a class on the book of Nehemiah, another class on the Holy Spirit, and he graciously gave me all his notes. By the way, Rich suffered a stroke Uh, two and a half weeks ago. He's now home and slowly regaining his strength. This topic, the topic of the Holy Spirit, brings to mind a book I read some time ago that I went over again this past week. The title says it all, The Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. And here's something the author said, from my perspective, the Holy Spirit is tragically neglected and for all practical purposes forgotten. While no evangelical would deny his existence, there are millions of churchgoers across America who cannot confidently say that they have experienced his presence or action in their lives over the past year, and many of them do not believe they can. Another author believes evangelicals generally fall into one of two extremes. So the first one, some seem obsessed with the Holy Spirit, relating to him in strange, often mystical ways. Their experiences with the Spirit seem to coincide with emotionally ecstatic moments. Well, on the other extreme, Christians react to that perceived excess by, well, by neglecting his ministry altogether. They believe in the Holy Spirit, but as one author says, they relate to him the same way they relate to their pituitary gland. (laughs) They know it's in there somewhere, 
and that it's necessary somehow for bodily growth and life, but have no real interaction with it. Well, let's just be honest and admit something today. Many Baptists fall in this second category. You see, there's no doubt the Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood, the most ignored, and the most forgotten member of the Trinity. This week, I was out in the community working on this sermon, and I ran into a close friend who pastors a charismatic church. And I asked him what he would say to a Baptist pastor starting a sermon series on the Holy Spirit. He just started smiling. He started laughing. First, he said, well, I'm delighted that you're preaching on the Holy Spirit. And then he said, do you want my sarcastic answer or a real answer? I said, bring them both on. And so here's his first. He told me that for many in Baptist circles, the Trinity is often understood as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. Yeah, he laughed. I didn't laugh so much at that one. And then he reminded me what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. My pastor friend smiled and he said, he said that I could perhaps teach him about worshiping in truth and he could teach me about worshiping in spirit. Actually, we need to have both spirit and truth because here we see they're married together. We're going to be in John chapter 14, two verses today, verses 16 and 17. Feel free to turn there, use your mobile app. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible as our gift to you. Let's put the text into context. Jesus has just announced that he's leaving the disciples. They've been doing life with him for three years. And they think they have a good thing going on. And Jesus announces to them, he's about to leave. Well, they're disappointed. No, it's even stronger than that. They're distraught. They're unsettled. They're stirred up. And three of the disciples put into words what the others are thinking. In chapter 13, verse 36, Peter says, Lord, where are you going? In chapter 14, verse 5, Thomas echoed, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And that comes right before that beautiful verse, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Philip then adds in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. So his closest followers were extremely unsettled. So the Savior spent three chapters telling them what was going to happen after he left, specifically teaching them about the Holy Spirit, John 14, John 15, and John 16. I encourage you to read those three chapters in preparation for next week. Now, let's stand and read these words inspired by the Holy Spirit as we lean on the Spirit to teach us who the Holy Spirit 
is. And so Jesus wants them to know, even though he's leaving, they will not be left alone. Let's start in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. If you could stay standing. Uh, One of my favorite devotionals is called The Valley of Vision. It's a collection of prayers written by Puritans and put together in a book. And there's a prayer that's focused on the Trinity, and it would be good for us now to give our attention to it. The danger is that we just say the words, but let's say the words, but actually turn this into a prayer as we walk through it. Let's pray together as we say these words together. Three in one, one in three, God of my salvation. Heavenly Father, blessed Son, eternal Spirit, we adore you as one being, one essence, one God in three distinct persons. Oh, Father, you have loved us and sent Jesus to redeem us. Oh, Jesus, you have loved us and took our nature, the nature of a man, shed your own blood to wash away our sins, wrought righteousness to cover our unworthiness. Oh, Holy Spirit, you have loved us and entered our hearts, implanted there eternal life, revealed to us the glories of Jesus, three persons and one God. We bless and praise you. For love so undeserved, so unspeakable, so wondrous, so mighty to save the lost and raise them to glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Now, before we continue, I want us to acknowledge something. We are on holy ground as we consider the Holy Spirit. So, Don't tune out. Don't entertain thoughts that are gonna zip through your mind during the message. We have the joy and the honor of taking a look at the third member of the Trinity. And every time we say his name, we're reminded he is holy. And that should get our attention. And as we go through these two verses, open yourself up to the Holy Spirit's work in your life as he takes his word, as he teaches us as our teacher, helps us understand what it means, and then to apply it to our lives so that we worship during the sermon. You see, he's holy, he's weighty, and he's honorable. I wrote down a question this week in my notes. How can I, as a sinful human, preach on the sacred topic of the Holy Spirit of God? I mean, I echo one author who said it like this, no subject intimidates me more, yet I can't think of anything more essential for God's church everywhere. Here's our main idea. If you've been born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is your holy helper who will always be with you while doing his work within you. 
And we can see seven vital truths about the Holy Spirit from these two verses. Number one, the Holy Spirit is God. And he's the third member of the Trinity. Well, let's begin by making an observation. This is a prayer, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Notice the entire Trinity is depicted here. Jesus asked the Father to give the spirit of truth to his followers. Both the Father and the Son are active in sending the Spirit. One author captures it well. The Holy Spirit is not a lesser or different kind of being than God the Father or God the Son. The Spirit is God. The words spirit and God are used interchangeably in the new are often used interchangeably in the New Testament. When we forget about the Spirit, we really are forgetting God. In 1905, 40 charter members of Edgewood got together and they made a covenant together. Part of that covenant was to take the gospel to their neighbors and to the nations. And over the years, under the leadership of phenomenal pastors, Edgewood has put together articles of faith. This is what we believe as a church. Our articles of faith are biblical. They're robust. And listen to how the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, is described in the Articles of Faith, that in the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Every word in this next sentence is so important. Equal in every divine perfection and executing distinct but harmonious offices in the great work of redemption. Number two, the Holy Spirit is like Jesus and takes his place on earth. Observe, Jesus prayed for the Father to give you another helper to be with you forever. The word another means of the same kind or quality. So, Jesus was the first helper. The Holy Spirit is our second helper. Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is unique and yet will be like himself and will take his place. Oh, drop down to chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, words of Jesus, it is to your advantage that I go away. (laughs) We read those words and it doesn't have an impact with us, but imagine how the disciples felt there. Jesus is saying, it's to your advantage. It's better for you that I'm leaving. And he says, why? For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. We'll unpack that more in the weeks to come. But Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit within you is better than Jesus beside you. Jesus is saying, I'm getting ready to go, and I'm going to send the helper. Number three, the Holy Spirit is our helper. He's called helper in three other passages in John's gospel. Uh, Join me in chapter 14, verse 26, where we read, but the helper, the Holy Spirit. John 15, verse 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from from the Father, the Spirit of truth. John 16, verse 7, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. 
This same Greek word is translated as advocate in one of John's letters, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, to describe the work of Jesus. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate. That's the same word with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, it's difficult to find one English word to describe the Greek word. First of all, it's because it's a compound Greek word, but its meaning is rich and multidimensional. Parakletos, the, the word kletos means called, para or para means next to, alongside of. I think of mission agencies. The Langworthies are working with a mission agency. They're coming alongside the church in order to help send them into missions. I think of parachurch ministries like Youth Hope and like Fishers of Men and Moody Radio and Pregnancy Resources and InterVarsity at Augustana and Blackhawk College, I think of Voice of the Martyrs and Keep Believing Ministries and Safe Families for Children. Uh, Those are ministries that come alongside the church. So this Greek word can be translated as helper, comforter, counselor, attorney, encourager, advisor, pleader, proxy, and advocate. It literally means one who comes forward on behalf of and as the representative of another, one who is called alongside to assist and give aid. I hope you're worshiping right now. Because in short, the Holy Spirit sustains and strengthens strengthens those who are saved by encouraging and exhorting One commentator refers to this title as the intimate presence of God with his people. So if you've been saved by God's grace, when you're feeling alone and isolated, and some of you came in today like that, or perhaps you're engaging at home and you just feel, you feel alone. You're going through a health situation or someone in your family is or a relationship has ruptured and you're reeling and you just feel alone and isolated. Oh, remember that you have a comforter in heaven as Jesus intercedes for you and you have a comforter in your heart as the Holy Spirit advocates for you. Jesus pleads our cause with the Father and we have another comforter dwelling within us who pleads the cause of God for us. Perhaps looking at a word that's the exact opposite will help us understand what this word comforter means. The exact opposite is found in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, where it says of Satan that he accuses us day and night. So my guess is you struggle with your own thoughts and maybe you're beating yourself up after you sin or you fail or you fall short and you're hard on yourself. But you know you also have an accuser who's after you. But we have an advocate 
We have an advocate in heaven and we have a comforter that lives within us. Two advocates who stand up for us all the time. And so if you've been born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is your holy helper who will always be with you while doing his work within you. Number four, oh, this is such good news. The helper will never leave us. We see this at the end of verse 16, to be with you. Do you see it there? End of verse 16, be with you forever. In verse 17, it says he dwells with. That word means remain, abide, live. (laughs) Jesus is about to leave them, but they will not be left alone. Romans 8, 9, you whoever are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Let's consider the Old Testament. Around 100 times the spirit is mentioned. And if you read the Old Testament, you'll see that the Holy Spirit often came upon an individual so that individual could accomplish a specific task and often the Holy Spirit would depart. So here's two examples, King Saul and Samson. And that explains what's behind David after his sin when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and he murdered Uriah the Hittite. You read in Psalm 51, verse 11, in his prayer, David says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Listen, if you're a born-again believer, you don't have to worry about that because the Holy Spirit comes in at conversion and stays forever. In John 14, 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. Now, let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. Oh, this book so filled with deep doxology, doctrine, praise, and depth. Check out verses 13 and 14. In him, You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Notice what happened. You were sealed. With what? The promised Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Number five. The helper is the spirit of truth. Oh, we see this in the first part of verse 17. It just jumps out. Even the spirit of truth. In verse 26, Jesus said the spirit of truth will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. John 16, 13 says when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Friends, everything the Holy Spirit does and says is true, and he will never lead you contrary to the word of God. So if you hear somebody say, well, the Holy Spirit told me, and it's not in the Bible, that's not the Holy Spirit talking. If you find yourself say, well, I feel like this, Yeah, you gotta line it up with the Bible because this is the word of truth. The Holy Spirit inspired this book and he is the spirit of 
truth. Listen, in a world filled with error, in a world filled with heresy, when churches that have gone progressive and have stopped preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And he is working to keep us on track so that we hold to the, that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. That we hold that life begins at conception and therefore must be protected. That we hold to what the Bible teaches that God created two genders and that happened in the womb. We hold to marriage as a covenant relationship between man and woman for life. Why do we hold to those things? Because it's easy? Uh, That's not easy to hold to any of those things today and you know that where you live and work. Why do we hold to that? Because it's what the Bible says. And who's the Holy Spirit? He's the spirit of truth. And so we lean on him, we proclaim God's truth in a spirit of grace, we speak truth about sin, and we give grace to sinners. The spirit of truth guides us into all truth. Number six, the Holy Spirit is knowable for all believers. You see, those who are still in the world cannot know him. You talk about those things I just mentioned and someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, well, that's not going to go over real well. Why? Because it neither sees him nor knows him. Non-Christians are completely oblivious to the Holy Spirit, but believers have the privilege of knowing and growing in him. Listen to these Holy Spirit-inspired words given to a church that was totally messed up, the church at Corinth. Check this out, chapter two, verses 12 and 14. Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Notice that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are what? Which means you're gonna be made fun of, or criticized, or persecuted. They're gonna, what are you talking about? They're folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit is invisible, but he's real. He's active like the wind. Well, you can read about that metaphor in John chapter three. Now listen to what Jesus says about his followers, John 14, 17. You know him. So let's just settle this so the next time we take a survey, clearly the Holy Spirit is a who, not a what. He is referred to as him three times and he one time. It neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells within you. The Holy Spirit is personal. He's not a mystical force like in Star Wars. He's not some impersonal power. He's not a power to experience. He is a person to know. He is not an it He is a he. He is personal and personable, meaning you and I can have a personal relationship with him. R.A. Torrey once said, if we think of the spirit as a force or a power, we'll likely ask, well, how can I get more of it? 
But if we think of him as a person, we'll ask, how can he have more of me? Listen, if you've been born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is right now your holy helper who will always be with you and he will always do his work within you. Number seven, the Holy Spirit dwells within believers. Now this is a mind blow. Last part of verse 17, you know him for he dwells with you, alongside you, and will be in you. And so the Holy Spirit not only dwells with us, he dwells within us. Let me go back to the book we preached through this summer, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. What? Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. I like how one pastor put it. He's always been a God who is close and present, but only since Jesus has gone to heaven has he taken up residence inside of us. And that makes him closer than ever. Uh, Listen to how Jesus described the Spirit's inward presence. I'm in John chapter 7, verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Don't you love it when you keep reading in scripture where you get the interpretation? Like, what does that mean? Well, it's the very next verse. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Well, let's land with a couple action steps. Number one, follow the nudge of the Holy Spirit as he leads and guides you. Uh, That's a topic that we often bring up. Beth and I lead a growth group on Wednesday nights. We use that language. How has the Spirit nudged you this week? This nudge is often faint and sometimes easy to ignore. Sometimes when the Holy Spirit prompts us, it's strong and you can't help but obey. But here's the deal. Whether it's faint or strong, practice immediate obedience I experienced this recently when I was prompted by the Holy Spirit to lead in prayer in a very public setting where prayer is not normally offered, and and I knew that that's what God was asking me to do. I'll explain more about that. Number two, okay, so let me put myself in your shoes. You're like looking at your watch like, ooh, he's almost landing. I'm glad. Why are you laughing? But listen, you're gonna be here till the end of the service unless you leave now, so you might as well really listen to these next moments because this could be why you came to church today. This is so profound that if you grasp hold of this, it could change your life. Now that's quite a setup, but here it is. Live in light of the Holy Spirit living in your body. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a what? Is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God. Sometimes we hear people say, it's my body, I can do whatever I want with it. Not true. If you know Jesus, you are not your own for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. 
After warning believers about being unequally yoked with unbelievers, we read these words, 2 Corinthians 6, 16, for we are the temple of the living God. So hang with me. I don't have time to fully unpack this. I'll leave that for you to do. But consider this. The tabernacle in the Old Testament was the portable worship center. It went along with God's people and God led the people with fire, right? And and inside this portable worship center was the Holy of Holies where God is said to dwell. It was so holy, even priests who were holy couldn't go in there except for the high priest And he could only go in one day out of the year on the Day of Atonement. So that portable worship center called the Tabernacle later became the temple, permanent, built by Solomon. There's actually a couple temples in the Bible. Within the inner part of the Tabernacle, the Holy of Holies. Where does God live now? Mike, he lives inside of you. If we fully grasp that, would that not change how we live? Would it change our tongue? Would we really hold on to that grudge that's turned into bitterness? Would we really be living with impurity and doing things that we know are wrong? Would we really be living for ourselves if we fully grasp that the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us? Well, wouldn't we take care, not just of the temple, but what comes out of our mouth? goes into our ears, what comes in through our eyes, what kind of thoughts buzz around in our heads, what kind of feelings we allow to lead us. Mm. I've been challenged by a question one author poses. If it's true that the Spirit of God dwells in us and that our bodies are the Holy Spirit's temple, you ready for this? Then shouldn't there be a huge difference between the person who has the Spirit of God living inside of him or her and the person who doesn't? Yeah, the answer is yes, but if you read surveys, the behavior of Christians and the behavior of non-Christians almost identical. I mean, what's up with that? Something's not right with that. I want to put up a quote on the screen. It's quite provocative. And I encourage you not only to read it, but to consider it. It was written by A.W. Tozer. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and nobody would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. Does that mess with you? Well, let me be quick to say 
just make sure we keep our theology straight that the Holy Spirit will never be taken from us. But it is worth asking ourselves this question. What am I doing in my own power? In what ways am I just trusting myself? Or is there evidence in my life that I'm being led by the Holy Spirit of God, that I'm walking in step with God's Spirit? Oh, here's a question. Would you even notice if the Holy Spirit was no longer in your life? Would anything change? See, the Holy Spirit will not be withdrawn, but we can withdraw from him. So let me say it like this, as strongly as I can, so that we all hear it. If you are saved, you have all of the Holy Spirit. You don't need another blessing, another experience. No, when you were converted, when you were saved, you got all of the Holy Spirit. But here's the question I want us to ponder. Does the Holy Spirit have all of you? Does he have all of me? And you're like, well, 60%, 70, 80, or maybe you're just starting out. Perhaps you're here for the first time. Listen, the Holy Spirit wants all of us. I'm gonna invite you to stand and let's pray and let's allow the Holy Spirit to apply his word in our lives in personalized ways. Um, I'll pray, I'll put some words to the prayer, but you uh, open yourself to how the Holy Spirit wants to apply what we've learned together today. God, we thank you for your inspired, inerrant, authoritative word, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Oh, Holy Spirit, lead us, guide us, direct us. And in these moments now, convict us. We learn that about you when Jesus said the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And Holy Spirit, as you put your finger on those areas that need to be brought into the light, thank you that you provide cleansing and forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. Holy Spirit, revive us again that we may rejoice in you. Forgive us for living living self-centered lives when there's a world who doesn't know you yet. Fire us up to live on mission with our neighbors and the nations. Holy Spirit, guide us now and as we walk through this next week on our campuses, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, our communities, Holy Spirit, nudge us, prompt us, and help us to live that out first at home. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.